Louise Bay. And uh, with me today to talk about the film festival is actually to talk about one of the films entitled Sell By. It's the new film and actually the first feature film by Mike Doyle, who's the director and writer. He's known for um, starring in play- and playing in both television and in film, uh, including being in Rabbit Hole. He was in Union Square. He's on the cast of A Gifted Man as Victor Lance, an anesthesiologist, and he had a reoccurring role in the 2012 ABC television series 666 Park Avenue. He also was songwriter and record producer Bob Crew in the film of the hit musical Jersey Boys. So welcome to KPFA. Hi, happy to be here. Um, yes, many of those credits are shows that are no longer on the air, sadly. Um, I've, had, I've made a career of being on shows that last for about a season and then go away. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think the part that's interesting is that probably... I mean, I guess the good spin on it is that you get to see how a lot of different directors direct and how they put things together. Yeah, that was really my film school. Um, I made a point, because as an actor, you have a lot of downtime, um, and I made a point of using that time to stick around on set, um, be around for what's called B-team rehearsal. When they're lighting it, they have people who stand in for you. And that's when all the that's when all the interesting technical uh, machinery goes into work. And so I spent a lot of time um, observing people um, informally. And then more formally, I I shadowed directors for many years to just understand. uh, You have a sense of it as an actor, but when you make a film, you realize how much bigger the puzzle is, and acting is just one piece of that puzzle, an important piece, but um, there's a lot that goes into making a film, and you can learn quite a bit by um, just staying open when you're at work. That's cool. So you started this film, uh, I don't know if you had this idea of being uh, like a multi-puzzled piece of six friends, somehow connecting, staying together, their lives are kind of parallel, you know, that they're all sort of missing something in their lives. They don't really know what it is or they may know what it is, but they're not very happy. And yet they, over time, things begin to shift. So what inspired you to tell this story? Well, um, I guess I, you know, I'll start this by saying that it's, you know, an ensemble romantic comedy about uh, a group of friends who are all sort of spinning their wheels in a similar way, stuck in sort of patterns of relationships and behavior. Um, My influences film-wise are the films of uh, Noah Baumbach, uh, Whit Stillman, early Woody Allen, where there is this broad canvas of experience and characters and relationships. And that's what really appealed to me. And also there's always this sort of... uh, uh, sense of humor in all of it because uh, I, I think those filmmakers particularly deal with the absurdity of life um, and there's a certain hope um, you know as everyone is spinning their wheels that they're trying to figure things out um, so I like a, I like multiple points of view in a film that appeals to me and so this um film i i wanted to create um i wanted to create this canvas where um there was some universality uh of experience be it with a gay couple straight couple 
mixed race couple, uh, older, younger, married, unmarried. Um, but that that experience of being in a relationship that is pretty freaking hard <laughs> and um, how we all sort of muddle through in our different ways. Well, the, the <clears throat> filmmakers that you mentioned are all people who are underneath the romantic comedy quality. There's a lot of angst. Yes. So how did you get the balance when you were thinking about writing the script between angst and comedy? Well, I, I think within the couples, uh, I, I sort of go from the um, more humorous to the more serious with, um, I would say, Cammie and Henry. Uh, they're the couple who uh, they meet and uh, without getting giving anything away, uh, nothing is as it appears. Um, and it's sort of absurd. And Haley and um, Scott James similarly. And then Marklin and Adam are the more uh, I guess where the drama of the of the piece comes in. Um, I so the balance I was trying to strike. Uh, I, I guess it's is you know drawn from personal experience that um, that even when things are serious and things are bad that there is. Um, things sort of go off the rails and you hopefully can one can hopefully laugh at uh, at at life's um, curveballs so it's interesting because so this film is one of the first films I think where both of the main actors are who are gay are out gay in real life and uh, it's sort of shocking that that is something that doesn't usually happen so did you think about that in advance very much so. Yeah, I um, as an actor, uh, I'm an out gay actor, and I've uh, I play all sorts of parts, straight, gay, and otherwise. And um, it was really important to me to hire two out gay actors um, as the leading men. Um, uh, there are some films, you know, Call Me by Your Name is one of them that. I, I just, as a as a person of the world, I just hope maybe one of the people was an out gay. You know, even Angels in America that was on HBO. I was like, can't one person in the cast be an out gay person? Um, and it's not that I'm not um, saying that gay people can only play gay roles and straight people only straight roles. Um, but I think we are not yet at the point where uh, out gay actors are playing certain leading male roles that they should. Um, and so it, it was a tricky thing because my casting director, you know, you can't ask someone's Asian, well, are they gay? Um, <laughs> but we did a lot of sleuthing through social media. Um, um, both my actors are, are very much uh, out in public. Um, but there were some other people that I saw who were out-ish, uh, which is great. Um, but uh, yeah, it was really important to me, um, and and it you know it shouldn't feel so bold, but it is somewhat bold, and I'm really happy. And but ultimately, I picked the best actors for the roles, and they happen to be out gay actors as well. So I, I'm really fortunate with um, both, uh, and I'm speaking of um, Scott Evans, who plays Adam, and Augustus Prue, who plays Marklin, both very accomplished actors, and, and uh, you've seen them everywhere. Well, that was the part that was very interesting, is that all the main actors are well known in all these different ways, and yet you put them together in a way that uh, creates something new, which I thought was 
wonderful. How did you get, how did you think about directing them so that there was that kind of cohesion that gets created when we watch the film? Well, that's really nice to hear because that was my goal. Um, I think the job of a director is you're making this um, wonderfully complicated stew or maybe souffle is, 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 is perhaps more apt comparison. And you're putting in these ingredients and you hope that they come together and they rise and, you know, make this beautiful dish. So um, 90% of my job is casting the right people. And some of that is, uh, you know, hard science, but most of it is instinct, you know, what you feel with your gut. Um, I had, you know, I, 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 because making a film is an impossible task at any level, you just want to make sure that, uh, and especially at, you know, the, the budget that we were shooting in, um, that everybody was on board for the experience that, you know, I was upfront about, you know, it's going to be fast and furious and, you know, no trailers and no, you know, all sorts of perks that many of my actors are used to. Um, but they came together and believed in the script, um, and so for me, to your question of, you know, of creating something new, I, uh, it all starts with the text and then I would just have to come in and, and adjust because they, my, uh, my, I was, I was really fortunate to have actors who are so gifted and facile and fast and nimble, I should say, uh, that I, um, you know, I, 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 I'm not trying to underplay. I, I had to do a lot overall, but uh, I, I didn't have to. I didn't have to uh, do too much with them. They, they came together really beautifully. We're speaking with Mike Doyle about his new film called Sell By that's playing this evening from the Frameline, Frameline Film Festival this evening at the Castor Theater at 9:15 p.m. So. Let's go to the, the sort of the character development and how you thought about that. So first, we have the guy who used to work at CB2 and then somehow became really big at, um, I don't know, creating a sensation by wearing the right outfit and then photographing himself and then having a website and being recognized for <laughs> these different parts of, uh, and then, and he's involved with somebody who's a painter who winds up basically being a ghost painter for somebody really famous. So both of them are actually doing very much the same thing. They're living kind of a fake life to survive on somebody else's creativity. Yeah, I think, you know, I think both those characters, uh, Marklin, who you described first, is uh, what we now call an online influencer um, and is, uh, uh, you know, maybe more more sort of uh, condescendingly called insta-famous. But he is trying to create a business out of, um, out of his visibility and his sense of style. Um, and Adam, uh, who is ghost painting for a very famous contemporary artist, is talented in his own right, but he's sort of stuck in his nine to five. His, this is his punch clock of painting for someone else because it's stable-ish, um, but he just got stuck. Um, and what I wanted to explore in um, all the relationships, but particularly with, between Adam and Marklin, um, was the dynamic between two men uh, in relationship where power 
shifts. So when Adam and Markland first, we learned when they first got together, it was Adam who uh, sort of had the enviable career. And then that swung in a different direction. And now it's Markland. And, uh, you know, whether it's um, through career, through money, through just uh, a force of personality, I think there are uh, waters that two men navigate that are very, um, uh, there's a lot to explore there. So that's what I was interested in doing with um, with that relationship, and and you know the you know I, I guess I should tell people you know that it's a comedy. It's a you know the elevator pitch. It's a romantic comedy about a group of friends navigating love, life, and relationships as they reach the midpoint. But um, really, what uh, the the central relationship is is that idea of death by a thousand cuts. There are all these um, small things that happen throughout the course of their relationship that ultimately, um, I won't tell you what they do, but uh, they challenge and they um, uh, 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 put the relationship to the test. So if if we think about romantic comedies in general, do you think that that's what's happening is that they seem sort of kind of facile on the surface, but really there's substance underneath that you only can get through watching it? I hope so. I hope so. I mean, you know, we were, um, we, we were, uh, the cast and I were doing an interview and we were one of the, ca- uh, Scott Evans said, well, he's like, I don't know if we call it a romantic comedy. He's like, I call it a comedy with romance, which is, you know, splitting hairs. But I think, yes, it is a romantic comedy, but we, what I tried to do was sort of subvert or not subvert necessarily, but, um, play with the tropes and um, do something that is a little different uh, than your, you know, multiplex rom-com. Um, because it, it, it does, uh, you know, there, there are certain parts of the film that I feel are, uh, you have to fill in some blanks. You have to uh, lean into it a little bit. And I don't spoon feed uh, necessarily everything uh, that... Um, that is uh, happening in the film, but ultimately, uh, you know, through watching the film, to your point, uh, you come through this experience with the characters and you um, you feel something and hopefully something good. <laughs> well, actually, that's what I think the strongest part of the film was, is that usually in a rom-com, you have an idea at the beginning what you want to have happen, and somehow something is posed in a way where you're not necessarily so invested in that because that might be the exact wrong thing for mm-hmm. these characters. So that's where the tension was, I thought, for me. Nice, nice. I'm glad to hear that. Uh, now, when you were... Uh, act, since you've had so much experience as an actor and being directed as an actor, what kinds of things were you thinking about in terms of helping the characters develop their who they were on screen in a way that if you hadn't been an actor first would have been more difficult um that's a great question i've i've had the benefit of working with some actor directors um and one of the you know the biggest uh, is clint eastwood um and he has despite his politics which i (laughs) disagree with um he is the most lovely human being and loves actors and he has a gentleness and a kindness and a respect and a trust that trickles down um so i knew 
um, not only from him, but from some other wonderful directors that I've worked with in the past, that if I created a, a space that was safe, uh, that I ultimately instilled in my actors that I was um, someone who had a plan, was in control, and had their back, then they were able to um, take risks and feel safe. And, you know, nine times out of ten, they were great risks. Maybe one out of ten, it was like, eh, that didn't work, but it doesn't care if you're failing in a, in a safe space. So there were surprises at every turn. I, I you know, while I have a, a very clear idea of who these characters are, when an actor comes into the space and marries your script, the character becomes something else. And you have to, uh, you have to be open to that experience because I've been on other sets where there's a, a white knuckling of the script and of the character, and it it uh, uh, it's they sort of um, keep you the person actor out of the experience because they want you to do it this way, and that's really not organic and that's not terribly interesting to me because you hire, you know, it's the same reason why we see Hamlet over and over because you want to see someone play that instrument we call Hamlet. You want to see Ray Fiennes or you want to see, you know, Liam Neeson or you want to see Lin-Manuel, you know, play Hamlet, you know, because it's, um, it's a different, it's a different beast. And so um, being open to that and, you know, I, I hired these virtuosos uh, who, you know, Michelle Buteau, who's, who's having a really great run on Tales of the City and First Wives Club and every movie right now. Um, she, you know, she's a great improviser and, uh, you know, some of the other actors weren't improvisers, but she had the space to, you know, to play around and, you know, come back and it was... Uh, it's a real joy to watch, as an actor, to watch other actors um, feel safe and empowered to uh, really soar. Okay, so from your point of view, what are you looking for that shows that an actor is really soaring? Wow, uh, that's a good question. Um, I'm often surprised by it. I don't. I don't know if I have a litmus test for what that is. Um, you can just sort of sense when something clicks into sync, um, and that a scene starts to play uh, in a way that um, is uh, sometimes expected and sometimes completely unexpected, um, and. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, you know, and then just this is not part of the question, but sometimes you shoot a scene and on the day you think, wow, this is a great scene. And then you get into the edit and you're like, huh, why does this feel like it's not, you know, like there's something it doesn't feel as alive and lifted. And and that was a really fascinating process to um uh, to be a part of. Um, I've had limited experience writing and directing short films, but on a feature, not so much. Seeing how much uh, control you could still exert <laughs> in the edit. Um, you know, tweaking jokes and timing and looks and uh, stealing something from one place and putting it in another. It, it was, it was, it was um, like a science lab. It was so much fun. <laughs> 
<laughs> That's great. We're speaking with Mike Doyle, director and writer of the film entitled Sell By, which plays this evening at 9.15 at the Castro Theater as part of Frameline. Um, I'm Raina Cowan. So you said that there's a way where sometimes people t- em- embody their role in a way that you have to kind of go with. So I am wondering, were there surprises for you of, you know, you write something and then how it's embodied is completely different than what you imagined? Yeah, uh, I guess the answer to that is yes and no. Um, uh, it's, it. I guess it's, um, the best way to describe that is when something... Um, uh, there are two ways. Maybe you see it in 2D and then it becomes three-dimensional or you're at um, an IMAX film and you put on the glasses and you're like, oh, wow, that's sort of amazing. Like I knew, I had an idea that it was this thing. Um, so, yes. <laughs> hmm. Now, this film is about many, you know, these six people and two of them are the gay male characters. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, I think that there's this other pressure, which is there are so many films. Um, when we, I've gone to Frameline for years. There's so many films about relationships between gay men where, uh, I don't know, they're kind of predictable in a certain kind of way. So I, I thought that the other thing that you were trying to negotiate is how do you do it in a different kind of way? And so how did you think about that in advance? And then how do you think it came out? Well, I hope there's some subtext in this question that you thought it was a different way. Um, which I'll <laughs> tell you afterwards. <laughs> I'm, very, I'm very pleased to hear that. Um, yeah, I think, you know, for me, uh, I think there have been amazing films about coming out. There have been amazing films about battling adversity. Um, and I wanted to sort of jump into a relationship and into the sort of nitty gritty of what it is to be in relationship with another human being. And, um, and so we, we, pre- we presuppose uh, a history. They've come out. We don't talk about it. They've battled a lot of things. We, you know, touch on it. But it's about, you know, uh, as I said earlier, the universality of and the challenge of being in a relationship with someone. Um, so that was very important to me that I was, uh, I wanted to push the dialogue forward with gay cinema, if that doesn't sound too pretentious and too lofty. Um, but I wanted to make a, 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 a different film. Um, and I, you know, I hope uh, we achieve that. So what do you think was lacking before? In cinema? In gay cinema. Like what, and if you're doing something new, you had an idea what, what was sort of a tired trope rather than something. Yeah, I guess I didn't you know, if I if I reference the the Noah Baumbach and the Woody Allen and the Whit Stillman, I didn't see that type of film with a lead gay couple, um, and so that I felt was missing from the space. That, um, you know, I don't. You know, I I guess uh, uh, I, I just wanted to see. A couple talk about how tough it is to be a couple mm-hmm. um, and everything else about their gay experience was given um, and not to erase it by any means because they are very much a, uh, 
male homosexual couple. Um, I just wanted to explore uh, an area that I think um, the light wasn't or hasn't been shined on uh, as much. So I don't know you, but of course, like just from watching all the films of Noah Baumbach, or actually I've interviewed him too, but but also Woody Allen, that there is some way where their personality or what they're suffering with comes out in the film. Mm -hmm. Is there something here that that somehow is about you? Um, Well, I mean, I think if you make, you know, any work that you make is, you know, be it a novel, be it a film, um, there are pieces of me in every character, even, you know, Scott James, uh, who's the the 17-year-old student who's in love with his, uh, his tutor. Um, to Adam, to Marklin. But I, I, you know, I didn't make a film that was autobiography um, or memoir. I wanted to make a film that, um, you know, I've been in a lot of relationships over, you know, my adult life. And so I took pieces of, you know, what I learned, what I screwed up, what I did well. Um, and I, I put that into the you know the 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 blender um, to create this tapestry of um, relationships throughout the couples. So um, yeah, I you know it's uh, it, of course there are pieces of me in there, and uh, you know people who know me will you know point out certain things, um, but uh, I didn't I, you know I didn't want to make a film that was. Uh, that was um, autobiography. It's uh, it's interesting because I think that the part we haven't talked about, although you talked about it in the editing room, that makes me think about all this is that so much of a rom com is about timing, mm-hmm. and uh, and I I think that what happened in this film for me is that by the end I was sort of in tears and I was oh, kind nice. of like. I was nice. like, oh, are you kidding me? <laughs> you trickster, you. <laughs> so um, I just I just wondered about uh, that for you, like um, how how you were able to somehow create something that at the first seems um, so surfacy, and then by the end yeah. that something shifts. Well, you know, yes, the movie does start out very, uh, it starts out one place, which is probably lighter, funnier, brighter, and then goes to a different place. Um, That is, you know, I had an amazing composer in Dabney Morris, um, and music plays a huge part in... um, and sound play, you know, it's it's not just a visual medium, it's an audio medium. And so, yeah, I, I did some things, um, you know, I have some uh, uh, scenes that are more internal um, and then they're complemented with amazing uh, composition and score. Um, and then I had a great music supervisor uh, who got us incredible source music that, you know, helped that emotional ride because I wanted there to be a journey for the audience that there, there was, you know, hopefully a lot of laughs and then some tears afterwards and, you know, tug on some heartstrings and without being, you know, saccharine, without being, you know, predictable, uh, I'm, I'm still a hopeful person. Um, and so I wanted to serve up something that was hopeful, but still ambiguous. Uh, 
so yeah, I'm I'm glad I'm glad you cried. <laughs> <laughs> so by uh, the new film by Mike Doyle, who we're speaking with, his screening is this evening at nine fifteen at the Castro Theater. It's part of Frameline, and if you want more information, uh, the film festival runs through June thirtieth. Uh, tonight at six thirty, there's a a really also very nice sweet film that um, is very feminist and political called St. Francis. Director Alex Thompson and the screenplay and the star Kelly O'Sullivan will be there, 6.30 at the Victoria. And then tomorrow, Marlon Riggs. It's been 30 years since he's died and uh, no regrets. His short films are playing at the Castro Theater at 11 with a panel by Vivian Kleiman, Brian Freeman, and Peter Stein. So the film festival runs through Sunday. Screenings are at Castro, Victoria, the Piedmont, and the Shattuck. For more information, you can go to frameline.org. My name is Raina Cowan, and this has been Frame to Frame. Mike, so much thank you for joining oh, me. Raina, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for um, your very thoughtful, thoughtful interview. Thanks. Okay. I'll be back later with more film. Save capitalism? Why? We can do better. That's the topic on which Richard Wolff will train his considerable knowledge, lucidity, and delightful scorn. Wednesday evening, June 26th, 7.30 p.m. at Berkeley's First Congregational Church, 2345 Channing Way in Berkeley. It's wheelchair accessible. Honored by the New York Times as America's most prominent Marxist, Richard is the author of numerous books and weekly host of KPFA's Economic Update. His appearance is a benefit for KPFA and Democracy at Work. Sabrina Jacobs will host tickets at brownpapertickets.com and our cherished progressive bookstores. Richard Wolf, June 26th. You're listening to 94.1 KPFA, 89.3 KPFB in Berkeley, 88.1 KFCF in Fresno, and online worldwide at kpfa.org. One, two, three, four. 